And turn with me to Luke chapter number 14. Luke chapter number 14, as we get into God's Word, I want you to know that we're thrilled that you're here. We want you to know that we hope you come back. You look around on a day like today and you think, Preacher, we're just about out of seats. Praise God we're about out of seats. Hallelujah. It's one of the greatest problems a church could ever have. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you something? We've got big plans in store. We're getting ready, Lord willing, in the next few weeks to break ground on additions both on the north side and south side of the sanctuary. Praise God, it's already fully funded and voted on and already been approved. It's just waiting for the architect to send it on to the state for final approval. And we'll be adding some great big classrooms for our children and for our youth group over the next few months. Uh, As soon as we get that going, we have already begun to talk about how we're going to expand the sanctuary out as we await for the funding for a new sanctuary going this direction. And so God has been moving in a mighty and wonderful, reviving kind of way. Uh, in a way that maybe I've never personally experienced before. And I've been enjoying every single last second of it. And I believe that revival can continue right in and through this morning's service, if you'll let it. Look at Luke chapter number 14 with me this morning. And we'll begin at verse number 15. I just want to read down through a few verses here and then I'd like to share what God's laid on my heart with you this morning. Luke chapter number 14 and beginning of verse number 15. The Bible says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless now as we begin to look into your word this morning. I pray, Father, for every single heart that's here. I know some might be here with great trepidation. They might have already concocted in their mind what to expect by walking into this place. And Lord, if we're honest this morning, there are a lot of sinful folks here. We all are. There's a lot of folks that do their best, but sometimes they fail. There's a lot of folks that have been headlong in sin for a long time and are looking for a way of escape. God, I pray that there are some sincere hearts in here today that are searching, desperately longing to find truth. And so God, I pray today that you'll deliver that in a very powerful and mighty way. Lord, I pray that you would cut this preacher out of the equation. And Lord, that what would be presented today would be Your Word. Oh God, would You help us in this moment that we have together. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
You know, as we read through this passage of Scripture, and I, I don't know why. I, you know, I'll be honest, there are times where, uh, especially on days like today, where there's a certain expectation of a certain theme uh, of a sermon. I don't always understand why God leads where He leads. What I do know is that God knows all things. And what I mean by that, you may not have realized this walking into this building today, but God knew you were going to be here. In fact, God was already moving heaven and earth to ensure that you would be here today. And I believe that the sermon God's laid on my heart, while it may seem unrelated to the topic this morning, in reality, it is not at all unrelated. What I want to look at this morning is is this passage of Scripture that we've just read together, this parable that Jesus uh, uh, tells. And I want to try to drive home uh, a, a thought that I hope will help you today and hopefully will pull you out of your typical religious comfort zone and bring you back to a place where your heart can be touched again. You know, I want to start by asking a question. Have you ever been invited to something you couldn't make it to only to find out that you really missed out on it? Have you ever had that before? I know I sure have. There's some things that's happened recently that, boy, I was glad I was there because if I wasn't, I would have missed out. I think about that sledding party that we went to a few months ago. I mean, I never dreamed, never dreamed I'd get to watch two guys try to sled down a massive hill on the hood of a pickup truck. Never dreamed, never dreamed I'd get the opportunity to jump in a boat with a guy and try to ride it down a hill. I ended up dragging it most of the way. I'd have really missed out if I wouldn't have been there. I think about other times in my life on things that were very special. We all know how heartbreaking it can be to miss out on something special. Thinking back to that passage that we opened with there in Luke chapter number 24, can you imagine if Joanna had told Mary that she had too many errands to run to go to the tomb of Jesus with her that morning? That would have been devastating. To miss out on something so spectacular, so life-altering. Literally, the whole course of history was changed that morning and she'd have missed it if she'd have been too busy. Can you imagine if Peter had told Joanna that he still needed to catch a few more pounds of fish before he could go see the empty tomb? Wouldn't that have been devastating? Peter would have never ran in, never saw the cloth sitting to the side because he got held over at work. Can you imagine if Cleopas had told his friend that he couldn't go to Emmaus with him because he was too tired? But glory to God, in every single situation, each of these individuals went where they were supposed to go and did what they were supposed to do, and they didn't miss out on anything. In fact, they became integral parts of the storyline of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. They could have missed out, but they didn't. And today you're here. You've come. And I commend you for that. Because you could have been a lot of places this morning, but you're here in God's house, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. You know, I know this might be hard for you to believe, but I'm going to say something. It's getting ready to get warmer in here. I'm warning you right now. I don't mean temperature-wise. Okay? I'm about to say something, and some of you, I already know your faces are going to turn beet red. Did you know? That there are some people out there that will actually make up excuses just so they don't have to show up to something. 
Man, it got quiet. Man. People do that, don't they? Now imagine. I want you to imagine something with me this morning. And this is the whole direction God wanted me to go with this sermon. Can you imagine if someone came to you and invited you to spend all eternity in paradise with the God of the universe and instead of accepting the invitation, you made up some pitiful excuse as to why you didn't want to come. How devastating would that be? The title of this morning's message is, What is your excuse? What is your excuse for rejecting the greatest offer ever made? What on earth is holding you back from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I'm thankful. I believe every Christian in this room will join me in rejoicing over the fact that there was absolutely nothing in hell or on earth that could hold our Savior back from rising from the dead. Amen? Amen. He made no excuses. He accepted the Father's call and He fulfilled His part in every single way of the redemption plan by dying on the cross and by rising again from the dead. I praise God that I don't serve a Savior full of excuses. I, save a, I serve a Savior that was full of solutions and He worked every single one of them out. This morning I want to ask that question as, as, kindly, <coughs> excuse me, as kindly as I can. What is your excuse? In looking here at Luke chapter number 14, we see some excuses given to us. And I want to spend some time on each one of them here in just a moment. But before we get into the excuses, I want to start by looking at the meal that's being offered here. Look with me at verse number 15 through verse number 17, and we're going to see this meal described for us here. Luke chapter number 14 and verse 15 again. It says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. First thing I want us to point out this morning is the maker of the great supper. I want you to notice that the servant was not asked to make the supper. Did you notice that? The guy who was putting all this together made the supper also. And so my first question in this situation is who is the one making this great supper? And the answer is Jesus Christ is the one that's being referred to here. When he says that a certain man made a great supper, he's talking about himself. He is the one making the supper. And you'll notice at the end of verse number 17, he says, Come, for all things are now ready. The idea is that he's saying this guy started making a supper. He sent his servants out to tell folks about the supper that he was making. And finally, everything was done. Everything was complete. Everything was ready. In other words, the gravy was on the table. It's done. It's complete. If I could use this phrase intentionally, it is finished. I know that Jesus is the one being referred to here because of verse number 24. It says, for, for I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. 
So we know it's Jesus speaking. We know that Jesus is the one who is the certain man. He's the one that is making the great supper. The second thing we see here is the message of the great supper. The message of the great supper. I want you to notice he says, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. You say, Preacher, what is the great supper that Jesus was working on? I believe it was the gospel as it's been given to us in God's holy word. This is the great supper. This is the thing that we feast on. This is the thing that we get an appetite for that cannot be quenched by anything else. Say, preacher, why does this book mean so much to you? Because it is the perfect, inspired, holy and inerrant word of Almighty God. There is no book that's ever done anything in my life like this book has done. There is no book in my life I'd rather dedicate myself to its truths and its principles than this book that I hold in my hand. This is the great supper that was being prepared and now it's been given to you and I in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is contained inside the pages of this book and in reality, from cover to cover, it is all the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is one beautifully connected story that's been passed down for hundreds and hundreds of years that tells one glorious historical account of how God has done everything necessary to redeem mankind from their sin. The message of the great supper. The third thing we see here is the making of this great supper. Did you notice that it was made to as many as would listen to the offer? In other words, nobody was exempt. He says in verse number 16, he says, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. He said to go out to the ones that were bidden and tell them to come for it's all ready to go. And even when they didn't receive uh, the invitation, there were others that received it later. No one was exempt from the invitation. And can I tell you something this morning? You may be here within the sound of my voice, and in the back of your mind, you may have already decided that you are not, you're going to do your level best to walk out the same person you came in. Could you set that aside for just a minute? Because I'm here to tell you based on the authority of God's Word that this message, it's for you. And God has great intentions for you being here and for this sermon being specifically the one God has chosen for this morning. It is an offer that is made to as many as will actually open their spiritual ears and listen to the offer. I also notice that it's made by a lowly servant. And that blesses me this morning. This man who makes this great supper, he looks over at the servant and he says, Now, I don't want you to make the supper. Okay? And we don't know how bad of a cook the servant was. Okay? But I'm going to guess that he wasn't nearly the chef that this man was. He didn't look over the servant and say, Hey, I'd like for you to come over here and help me make the supper. No, he said, Don't touch the supper. I'll take care of the supper. There's nobody that can make the supper quite like I can make the supper. And can I tell you something? It is not my job to make the word. It's not my job to make it all make sense. It's not my job to make it work. My job is just to take and go out and share the news. He's the one that's making the supper. Finally, I notice that it's made to completion. At the end of verse number 17, it says, Come, for all things are now ready. Now, this is where I get excited. I'll tell you, as I was studying this, if you can't tell, I'm a bit excited this morning. Okay, 
And there's a reason for that. And it goes way beyond just, I love that we have a good crowd, but it goes way beyond that. I'll be honest, if there were 10 of you that showed up this morning, I believe I'd be just as excited. Because my Savior would be just as alive whether you were here or not. I'm just glad you're here to celebrate it with us. Amen. And so I, I look at this and I get excited about this. When he says, come, for all things are now ready, what he's really saying is the supper is complete. But why? Why can he say that? What does he even mean by the fact that all things are now ready? Well, I'd like to take just a few minutes and share that thought with you this morning. When Jesus here says that this man that was making a supper says that all things are now ready, you know what he's really saying? He's saying that for thousands of years, there's been a supper in preparation. And again, we're, we're, we're understanding this morning that this great supper is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the foundation of the world, before the foundations of the world were ever even laid, God had already formulated a plan by which He would redeem mankind from their sin. You understand this morning, and I know some of you that have been here for the last six or seven weeks, you may be getting tired of hearing this, but I sure hope you're not. You understand this morning the great problem that we all have is a sin problem. It is the very reason for which Jesus had to come and die. And maybe you were under the false impression that when Jesus hung on the cross, He was hanging on the cross for the purpose of of maybe dying for His ideologies. Maybe you thought that Jesus died on the cross because Romans hated Jews. Maybe you thought Jesus died on the cross because people didn't like Him very much. Because maybe He was too egotistical. I mean, I don't know what twisted deception Satan may have used up to this point to keep each one of us to a certain extent blinded from the reality of the cross. But I want to state plainly for you what the purpose of that cross was. It was not just a man dying for just a good cause. It was the Son of Almighty God dying for the redemption of mankind. Say, preacher, how is that even possible? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense when you understand what God's plan was. You see, God set up a plan. He knew that we would plummet ourselves into sin. He didn't do that. We did that. You understand that all the war... The Bible tells us, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not even from your own members that war within yourselves? Come they not from your own lusts? You understand something this morning, and we shared it in Sunday school uh, with our Sunday school class today, that we have a tendency of blaming God for a lot of things that are not God's fault. In other words, we, we, we tend to cast blame on God for all the atrocities, all the tragedies, all the wars, all the, the horrific problems. You understand that none of those were a part of the original plan. That mankind chose to plummet ourselves into sin. And the moment that took place, God had already designed a redemption plan. It would consist of a price that had to be paid for that sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The price that must be paid is that we all must die. Adam and Eve, when they were created in the Garden of Eden, they weren't created for just a few years. They were created for, to be eternal beings until they took of that forbidden fruit. And at that moment, the entire human race was plummeted into sin. And while they may have cast that sin nature onto the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until you got it, the reality is you are just as much a sinner as they are. Because you made the choice to sin against God just like they did. And so sin passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 
The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This preacher standing behind this pulpit is a sinner. A sinner saved by the glorious grace of Jesus. Every single person in this room that claims to be a Christian, you're a Christian today because your sin has been taken care of. But the question is how? How has it been taken care of? Well, we told you that the wages of sin is death. That we have to die and spend an eternity in a Christless hell as a result of our own sin against an eternal holy God. And what God has done is He, in His grace and in His abundant mercy, has supplied His own Son to take that death in our place. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says in His Word in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 8, it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, and then Christ died for us. You see, that's why Christ died. He died as a sacrifice for you and for me, shed His own blood on that cross of Calvary so that we could be cleansed of our sin. But then the question very simply goes from, okay, I understand that sin is the problem. I understand that Christ is the solution. But how does that solution become active in my heart and in my life personally? And the answer is by faith. By real, genuine faith. It was sung at the very end of that song that the Deaton sung this morning. It's by resting in what He has done for you. You see, the problem, the great problem with religion is that people spend their whole lives trying to do enough things to earn favor with God. And that is not the plan that He set up. There is a major fault in that plan. And that is you're the one trying to make the supper. Again, I'll remind you, that man did not look at the servant and say, come, help me make the supper. He said, no, 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 you don't touch the supper. That's my job. I will do all the work necessary to prepare the meal. I'll let you know when it's all completely ready. And all you've got to do, listen, all you've got to do is come and dine. That's all you've got to do. All you've got to do is come and rest at my table. I'll do everything else myself. You just come and rest at my table. Can I tell you something this morning? If you have been a part of that religion that says you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to earn this and you've got to earn that, can I tell you, you are sidestepping the plan of God for the redemption of mankind? He has done everything necessary. It's time for you to stop trying to do it on your own and trust that He has done enough for you. That is the good news of Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When He said that all things are now ready, what He's saying is, I have told you about the plan. I've shown you through my law and the old covenant. I've shown you the problem that it is sin. Now I am here. I am currently living out a sinlessly perfect life so that I can offer myself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary so that whoever might believe on me can have eternal life. It's done. The supper's ready. So we see in this the the meal. But I also want to look this morning at the attempts. The attempts that are made to get folks to come to the meal. Look with me at verse number 18. Verse number 18, the Bible says, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. 
You know, the first offer that's made to come and dine at the master's table is to those who were just too busy. Just too busy. They didn't have time to go to the table. I'm going to say something this morning, and I hope it does not offend you, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to ask you a question. What on earth is more important than your eternal soul? And I say it with a breaking heart. You realize there are millions of people who are just too busy for the gospel. Busy with what? What was so important that we literally put our eternal souls in the balance to accomplish that thing that was so important to us? The second attempt is made to those who were too broken. Notice down there in verse number, I believe it's down in verse number 20. Or verse number 21, it says, so that, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. You realize there were some people that he went out and offered this amazing, miraculous meal to that would have... A day before would have given anything to have a meal like that. And they go out to offer it. And I believe there were some that were left in the street that said, I can't, I am not worthy, I am too broken. Can I tell you something this morning? Ask you a question. What else on earth has more power than the gospel to mend your brokenness? There are some of you here today that you had already convinced yourself before you ever walked in this, bo- this building that you were too broken to fix. <clears throat> I've got some really good news for you. There is no such thing as too broken to fix for Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, you do not know what I have done. You don't know what atrocities I've committed. You don't know what people have done to me behind closed doors in the darkness of the night. Preacher, you don't know how dark it is. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know how deep it goes. You know what? You're right. I don't. But God does. He saw every moment. He felt the pain. He knew the anguish and the agony. And He knew He would bring you to a place today where you could finally find deliverance. Freedom from your brokenness. You know what's amazing is that God is not interested in mending your brokenness. He's interested in taking all those broken shattered pieces and sweeping them into the dustpan of forgetfulness. Casting them off into the dumpster of of days gone by and He is prepared to make out of you one new glorious creation in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to get at is He's not interested in remodeling you. He's interested in transforming you completely. Wiping the slate completely clean. That is the power of the cross of Christ. He has the power to wipe the slate completely clean and begin fresh and new with a brand new masterpiece. 
So if you're here today and you think you're too broken for Christ to fix you, you have been deceived by the evil one into believing that somehow you have done too many things for Christ to have the power to to overcome that in your life. And I'm here to tell you, there is no such thing when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. Finally, the offer is made to those who just didn't believe. It says that he goes out into the highways and hedges to compel them to come. Anybody. At this point, there's still room at the table. And he goes out and he says, Hey, I want you to go out in the highways and hedges and I just want you to start yelling it. I just want you to start announcing it. Start telling people. Everybody, anybody and everybody. I don't want you to look for, for any background. I don't want you to check any status. I don't want to know where they're from. I don't want to know what they've done. Would you just go out and get anybody that will come? So he goes out. And there's no doubt that there were a lot of people that just walked right on by. The attempts were made. The meal was prepared. But then come the excuses. You know, I'm concerned of how many folks seem like they're so strapped, just so exceedingly tight to this earth. So many are strapped so tightly that if the resurrected Christ were to literally stand right in front of you, look into your soul with His tender, compassionate eyes, reach out His nail-scarred hand, and beckon you to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that there are some who would look right into those tender, loving eyes and say, sorry, Jesus, I just can't. I want to highlight these three excuses and we'll be done for the day. In verse number 18, we see the first excuse that's given as to why this person couldn't come to the supper. Verse 18, it says, And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Now, I want you to notice there's a difference between the actual excuse and the way it's worded and the way I'm going to state it here plainly. He says, I'm sorry, but I just bought a piece of property and I have not had a chance to look at it yet. And as much as I want to come and enjoy that supper, I just don't have time because I'm really excited. I want to go look at my brand new piece of property. That's what he's saying. That's the words he's using. But can I tell you what I think the man who made the supper actually heard? I think what he actually heard is, I don't care where you're at. I only care about where I'm at. And I believe there are a lot of people that would never say it. But what they really are saying is they're saying, God, I don't care where you're at. I just care where I'm at. I know the preacher talks about heaven. The preacher preaches about hell. I know that you're saying that's going to come at some point in the future. And that's all fine and well. But I've got too much going on right now here where I'm at. I don't care where he's at. I don't care what's going on there. I've got too much going on here. That's excuse number one as to why many do not ever come to Christ. Excuse number two. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. You know what this guy is actually saying? It sounds like he's saying, hey, I got work to do. I know what you're saying. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but i got too much work right now. I don't have time for Jesus. I've got too much work to do. That's what it sounds like he's saying. But I think to the man who made the supper, it sounds more like this. I don't care what you're doing. I only care about what I'm doing. That's what it sounds like to the man who made the supper. 
What he's really saying is, I'm not so concerned about what you're trying to achieve. I'm just concerned about what I'm trying to achieve. There are people who live their entire lives not realizing that God has a a good and acceptable and perfect will for their life. A plan for you to fulfill, purpose for you to achieve. And yet you go about your daily life just trying to achieve your own things. And when it's all said and done, what do we really have to show for it? Nice car? That's great. Beautiful house? That's good too. A lovely family? That's wonderful. But what about 70 or 80 years from now? When all of that is gone, then what do you have to show for it? You see, there's an eternity coming and God has a plan and I believe every person in this room can be a part of it. And then there's a third person. Verse number 20, it says, And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He's saying, listen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread gently here. <laughs> you run the risk of getting yourself in some deep trouble on this one. <laughs> what he's saying, and, and I'm not doing any injustice to the text here. What he's saying is he's saying, I just got married to a woman. And so now there's two of us making decisions. And and we've had a discussion. And I'm telling you, I can't come. (laughs) Now we laugh because we've all been there, haven't we? And vice versa. Yeah. I could always expect some comment over here. I love it. (laughs) You know what he's really saying? He's saying, I don't care so much about who you are. I care more about who we are and what we've got going. You know, the sad reality is there are so many people who are just too busy, don't have time. And again, I ask that question, what on earth is more important than your eternal soul? To those who are too broken, I ask that same question, what else on earth has more power than the gospel to to transform your broken heart? Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And to the unbelieving, I say, what more on earth can God do to convince you that He is worthy of your trust? Now, I've got a list here, and I'm going to read them off to you because I know we're, we're at time now. But I've got a list of all the, not all the things, just the tip of the iceberg of what God has done to convince you that He is worthy of your trust. And as I read these off to you, I just want you to let these sink over to your soul. The question is, what more on earth is God going to have to do to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ? Some in the audience might say, I don't know. Maybe if he would just create a remarkably complex world that as we look at it even closer and closer as technology advances, we'll see more and more that he does exist. That would help. He's done that. I've got an idea, preacher. I know what God could do to show us his love and his, that he's worthy of trust. He could offer his only son to take my place and pay the penalty of my sin for me. He's done that. There are some in the room that might say, hey, I've got an idea, preacher, of what God could do to convince me that He's worthy of my trust. He could go through the experience of death itself and then come back to life and tell me about it. He's done that too. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, just wait. 
There's some of you here that might say, you know what? He could call out different people all over the world, servants and messengers, to reach out to me and speak His truth into my heart. He's done that too. He could follow me. I got an idea, preacher. He could send His Holy Spirit to follow after me and to lead me to moments like this where I can hear the truth. You're here. He did it. I got one last idea, preacher. If God would do something like this, I think maybe I could just trust Him. He could author a 1,323-page letter detailing His love for me and His plan to redeem my soul. He did that too. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want to close with one last passage of Scripture and we'll be done for the morning. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 16. I guess what I'm trying to say is that your excuses don't hold water. And I'm not being mean. I'm contending for your soul. And this may be the only shot I get. And I'm going to take it. And it may not hit quite right. But God helping me to do the best I can. My hope is that the Holy Spirit of God will take that one dart of the gospel of Jesus Christ and drive it so squarely into your heart that whether I ever see you or I don't again, you'll walk out of this building knowing that God has spoken to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now I'm not going to stop there. I want to read on verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. Now listen to this phrase. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. I believe today what Jesus is attempting to do is to reach out to you who maybe have been making some excuses to say, come, Come and dine. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I believe there are some here today. He's knocking on the door of your heart and He's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The supper's ready. Jesus has done it all. It's completely prepared. And I'm asking you today not to miss out. To stop making excuses.
and to come to Christ by faith today.